Morning, church family. I greet you all in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And it truly is my privilege and my pleasure to be with you. Uh, I've I checked, this is the seventh time in your pulpit. Now, last year, I think if I have it correct, the Sunday would have been the 5th of May that I would have been here. So, I do a mission trip to Natal. This is my 22nd trip to, to Natal, generally to the south coast. And I work with Zipagamisa. And I normally stop here and I've and his family host me for the weekend. I get to preach on a Sunday morning. And like we always do, I make arrangements at the beginning of the year for my whole, my whole year is all planned. I know where I'm going through the year. And Ivan and I planned last year. And... Uh, <clears throat> On the beginning of March, I went on a mission trip to Indonesia, to Papua. I don't know if any of you know uh, missionaries by the name of Andy and Debbie Abbott. I don't know if any of you know them. They're from the Honey Ridge Baptist Church, which is my home church, and I bring you greetings from my pastor, uh, Clinton Stone. And anyway, I was, uh, Andy and Debbie had been there for 20 years. They learned the language of the Moscona people. They then committed the language to, to writing. They taught the people how to read and write their own language because they couldn't. Okay? It's uh, Papua Barat, as it's called, which is the, the, little, uh, the little island uh, on the side of Papua. And uh, it is purely jungle. They live 20 feet above the, above the ground, well, above the water, the marsh, in bamboo, in bamboo houses. And that's the way they live on the island. And, it's, and it is, it's a jungle. And over the years, Debbie and Andy had um, taught the, they'd been teaching the people how to read and write. And Andy, uh, with the team, had started translating the Bible and they translated the New Testament. And just, I've got to think, last year was like a blur. Uh, 2020, oh, COVID. So in the end of 18, they, they produced the Bible in the Moscona language, the New Testament. Came home for a couple of months, I met with them. And they were telling me that the pastors now, there were 41 pastors and evangelists on the island. There were also other missionaries on the island. And they now wanted to be taught from the Bible that they now had. It wasn't stories anymore. They could now read it from their own word. And so Andy said, yeah, we need somebody to come and teach and train us, man. So, of course, that's part of what I do. So um, I went over last year in the beginning of March. And uh, there I was on the island for, for three beautiful weeks teaching and training the Moscona people, and uh, one day as I was st starting to make my way out, it's a nine-hour drive from the little village in the middle of the jungle all the way to the airport, and on my way there, um, COVID happened. Well, we got the, we got the news uh, that the government were declaring martial law on the island, and their soldiers are apparently quite mean to this Moscona grouping. So I was warned, get out of the country, so I managed to get a flight and I did a whole lot of island hopping and ended up in the island of Bali. But the point is this, is that I was in there for, nine, for another nine weeks. I was locked out of the country. I couldn't get home. But during that time, May happened. And of course, May, I should have been here. So, I like, uh, I not, hopefully you knew why I didn't pitch to preach on that Sunday morning. Okay. <laughs> there was no one here. You were closed. Okay. You were all locked out. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but just to finish that story, God is, what a God we serve. I landed on the island. Um, I tried to find a church instead. Some missionaries found me. 
And I had the most marvelous time being locked out of the country for, for nine weeks. Uh, I was preaching live on their television. I was preaching, preaching back to South Africa. Uh, I was working with missionaries. I started a church for expats on the island. So it wasn't a quiet time on this beautiful island of Bali. If you've ever been to Bali, it's, it really is a, a holiday destination. And for those of you who are maybe thinking of honeymoons in the future, um, Bali is a brilliant place to go. <laughs> okay, no, mom's saying no. No, no Bali, no, no honeymoon. No, no, no. I said if when they see in the future, mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I want to wish you, your moms, all uh, a very happy Mother's Day. Uh, I pray that God will bless you on this day and uh, that the children that you've brought into this world would be a joy to you. And I pray that they'd continue to be a joy. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the ultimate joy of a child, don't we know, it is to bring in grandchildren, to give you grandchildren. And I have four grandchildren, and uh, I'll be conversing with them all just a little later in the morning. But, question, who is the youngest mom in the audience this morning. Who's the youngest mother? I don't mean in your age, the youngest mother. You became a mother two years ago, three years ago. Who is the youngest, the youngest mom? Where's, where's the youngest mom? Where's the mom for that baby? Is that you? <laughs> Would the two of you like to come forward, please? I have something for you. Whoops. What's that? Little boy? A little, oh, a little, little girl. Little gift. Thanks. Okay. Pleasure. Okay, then I'm looking for the youngest. No, it'll then be, sorry, the eldest grandmother. Who is the eldest grandmother in the audience? Yeah, no. <laughs> the, the eldest grandmom. So any, okay, anybody older than 80 that's a grandmom? 80? Okay, 80, 81? 82? 88? Anybody older than 88? Grand, grand would you like to come forward? No. Okay. <clears throat> okay. And then, yeah, I've got one more. Okay. I'm looking for the youngest great-grandma. The youngest great-grandmother. 80? Anybody younger than 80? Great-grandmother. Grand, would you like to come forward? Great grand. There you go. Pleasure. Okay. Uh, for many years, um, I've had some ladies who meet on a weekly basis at a, one of the local coffee shops. Um, they've been knitting. They've been knitting teddies. 
And over the, over the last 20 years that I've been in full-time ministry, I've dished out hundreds and hundreds of these little teddies. Uh, when I go in South Africa, I'm able to, to pile them in the car. If I work with an orphanage, I'll find out how many and I'll take 100, 140, whatever the case may be. Uh, working locally within Southern Africa, when I can drive, I do the same. But wherever I go in the world, wherever I fly, I take a few teddies, pack them in, and I'm able to dish them out to, out to the young moms and, and, and so on. So the, the ladies that have uh, knitted these teddies, the youngest is now 88, but they have informed me that as from about June, they, they're going to stop. The, 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 elder, the, elder, uh, the elderly lady, she says her fingers are just battling now to, to do the knitting. So anybody else want to volunteer knit me knit teddies? You're welcome. Okay. All right. But just, uh, just very briefly then, my ministry, Broken Wings Ministry. Uh, Broken Wings Ministry has been going for since 2005 and uh, continues to, to grow. I have a shelter in Johannesburg. When I left South Africa for that mission trip to, to Indonesia, I had 30 guys in the shelter. When I came back, my, my house father had increased it to 41. We've got a bedroom with 10, two bedrooms with eight guys in it, a couple of bedrooms with fives and, and so on. And thank God we have not, to this day, from, from the beginning of March last year, we haven't even had a cold. Not a sniffle, not, a, not flu, with all these guys living on top of each other. I think we've got herd immunity. So uh, whatever, that, whatever the right word is. But we're very grateful to God that we've been able to be COVID-free. Um, so that's part of the ministry. The other part is evangelism. Wherever I go, I like to preach. And uh, altar calls are, are part of my DNA, calling people to, to come into a loving relationship with the Lord. And of course, teaching and training pastors. Um, I've just had to renew my passport. Um, there are 89, I've done 89 mission trips in the last nine years, international mission trips. But of course, this year, all curtailed because of COVID. Thank you, COVID. And, uh, but I pray and pray for me that God will soon open the doors again that I can leave the country and go teach and train. Just as it happened last year, I finished off the last uh, graduation for a school that had been in progress. So all my schools that I've been busy, everyone has come to, uh, come to graduation, but now we're looking to open up new schools in these weird and wonderful countries that I visit. But I think it's time to come to God's word, so let's just have a word of prayer. Father God, we do. We thank you today for, for your love for us, for giving us this opportunity that you've created for us to come and worship you on a regular basis, to come together as your children. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that this day is the first day of the week, and that the day that we celebrate in which the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so we do. We thank you. But even now as we as we come to your word, I just pray, Father God, that you would just encourage us through your word, that the questions we might have in our mind will be answered here this morning. And I pray, Father God, that your word would touch each of us, that we'd leave here changed, knowing who is our Savior, who is our God, and that we are sure of it. In Jesus' name we ask you this. Amen. Now, this ministry of mine has really taken me all around the world. 
I've been very privileged. I tell people I'm the, mess, the, the most blessed guy on the planet because I get to do what I love, which is teaching and preaching the Word of God, evangelizing, and I really get to do it all over the world. Before I went into full-time ministry, I had visited many countries. I was in a position where I could do that, and so I have. I've, I've traveled the world. I used to run. Comrades was the one thing that I did. And uh, I've run on every continent, I've run a race on every continent in the world, with the exception of Australia. But then like somebody said, who wants to go to Australia? <laughs> I mean, we love to hate the Aussies, don't we? Anyhow, so I've been to Brazil, Uganda, Zambia, all over Africa. I've been to the islands, Mauritius and Seychelles, Botswana, Indonesia, uh, and so on and so forth. And it doesn't matter where I go, I'm often asked, a couple of questions continually come to the fore. And the one question that's probably the most common question is this question. And it comes from both Christians and it comes from non-Christians. Okay? It comes from people in the church. It comes from pastors. It comes when I'm teaching and training pastors. And it comes from just people that I know or people that I, that I bump into. And this is the question, this one question, and I want to tackle it here this morning. Can I as a Christian, lose my salvation? Can I, as a Christian, lose my salvation? Now, of course, that's a very important question. And all of us are getting older, and uh, that's you youngsters here as well. I'm not just talking to us old fogies, but uh, we are. We're getting closer to our time of departure. That date is coming closer and closer. Now, a lot of people wrestle with this question because there's that passage in the Bible that where Jesus says, some are going to call me Lord, they would have called me Lord, Lord, but they are not going to be welcome into heaven. And so people wrestle with this question. They speak to friends. They, they read books on it. Um, they'll pose questions to, the, to their pastor. They phone a friend. But where can we get the proper answer from? Where? Who can give us the correct answer so that we can bank on it? We know for sure in our minds we can settle this question once and for all. Where do we get the answer? And of course the right place to go for the answer is in God's Word. And so we're going to go to God's Word this morning for that. Um, and we're going to have a good look at this, at the Bible with this passage. Now, let me say to you, you probably won't hear this quite often, but you can put your Bibles aside, okay? Now don't get up and walk out, okay? <laughs> all right? Because... I'm going to quote from 18 different passages. And of course, for you to go there and, and, and find it backwards and forwards, it's, it's a little much. Okay? So what we've done is, I've given Pastor Ivan the set of uh, passages, and he's going to put it on your, your, your group. Uh, he's going to, anyway, distribute it. He's going to see that you get it. So please, uh, just listen carefully, and I'll, I'll do the quoting for you this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Now, the one thing that we don't do, we don't build a theology on a verse. doesn't matter how good the verse may look or may sound. Okay? The Bible is its own witness. So if you read something, you say, mm, okay, that says that, but is this right? Can I believe it? Do I do this? You will find that passage will have been spoken about in other places in the Scripture. Now, there are very, very few subjects that are covered in the Bible that are not spoken about in more than one passage. So it's not only one passage that will speak to a particular uh, doctrine or uh, theology, uh, dogma. Okay? So we don't take our theology from a verse. Okay? Or sometimes people do it from half a verse. All right. So can a Christian 
Lose his salvation. Okay, let's look at that question. Can a Christian? So I think before we get to the second part and answer the question, we need to look at this. What is a Christian? All right? We call ourselves Christians. We declare we are Christians. We come to church. I'm a Christian. You write on a form. You ask for your religion. Christian. And that's what we put and that's what we write down. But let's define a Christian. A Christian is not somebody who has said a prayer, walked down the aisle, come and knelt and, and prayed, uh, been prayed for, laid hands upon. Okay? That is part of the experience, yes. But that's not what makes you a Christian. It's so much more. First of all, there's got to be changed attitudes in somebody who's come to faith. And you read that in 1 Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Okay? They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They claim to know God. If you go into the, into the Greek of all of that, you'll find that claiming to know God is claiming to be a blood relative, claiming to have him as your blood father, as, as to be his child. So some people are claiming that, but the way they live, their actions, they deny God. You've got to have changed attitudes. You see, love now becomes your driving force. Okay? Love for God. Love for your fellow man. The fruit of the Spirit starts to become visible in your life. It doesn't all become visible all at once. You don't become perfect. We're all a work in progress. Okay? Day by day as we experience God more, as we learn more and more about God, so slowly but surely we start to look more and more like Jesus. We start to become the aroma of Christ to people. <clears throat> So it becomes part of who you are. John 3.16, I'm sure you can all quote it for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts 16 verse 31 says these words, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, but it is a gift from God. Okay, So, you will have changed actions the way you live. You'll have changed attitudes because your thinking and everything has now changed. Okay? So, what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody with, who is a new creation. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You're not an improved version of the old self. That is gone. You're a new creation in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Okay? So to lose the salvation, the new creature would have to be destroyed. Okay? So there's one of the first clues as to where we're going here. Secondly, a Christian is redeemed. A Christian is redeemed. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 will tell you that redemption... We are redeemed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we are redeemed. Now, we are purchased with his precious blood. This word redeemed is a legal word. Okay? It's a legal word. Redeemed means the accounts have been settled in full. The debt is paid. Nothing left to be paid. All right? Done and dusted. Finished. We are redeemed. The sin that we committed the debt that we would need to pay, the punishment that we would have to have paid for the sin we've committed has been taken away. It's been washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. So to lose your salvation, God would have to revoke his plan of salvation. A Christian is also justified. 
Justified, the short way to remember that is just as if you hadn't sinned at all. Justified. Romans 5 verse 1 says these words. We are justified through faith. And that faith is peace with God. So it's because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. That we are justified. That God is then not prepared to but God does. He takes our sin away from us. Washes us with the blood of the Lamb. And our sin is removed as far as the east. East is from the west. And there are not enough noughts in your computer to compute how far is the east from the west. I mean, it is incalculable. It is removed. It is gone. We are justified. Okay. So, those who are absolved of guilt would have to be tried again and found guilty. You see, so to lose your salvation, God would have to reverse the sentence that was handed down on you, his own child. Okay? And that from the divine bench. God would have to reverse the decision he, he made to forgive you your sins when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Something else. A Christian is promised eternal life. We are promised by God. John 3.16, eternal life is a promise of spending forever in heaven with God. It's a promise. Okay? God's promised believe and you will have eternal life. God is not a liar. God doesn't change his word. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. God will not change. So for a Christian to lose his salvation, eternal life would have to be redefined. Okay? The Christian promise to live forever. We are promised to live forever. And doesn't eternal mean forever? So God has said we will be with him forever. We have eternal life. But here's maybe if you want to sort of major on, on this one, on, on this subject, here's, here's the easy passage to remember. And that comes from uh, Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. And it says these words. And the whole thing is explained here for you. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. You see, at that moment when you come to, in, when you come to faith, we've heard. Somebody has told you. Somebody's taught you the gospel. They've, they've told you the story about Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection. They've told you about God's love. They've told you and explained to you that you're sinners and you repent and you come to him. At that moment, when you come to faith, the new Christian is marked with a seal. And that seal is the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? There are other passages in the Bible where God speaks or Jesus speaks about this promise that of, the, of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. So it's been promised to act as a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. There's no maybe, no ands, no ifs, no buts. It's there in black and white. Now I know we often say, well, show it in me in black and white and I'll believe it. Folks, here we have it in black and white. Okay. In black and white. Those of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a guarantee. You see, 
For a Christian to lose his salvation, God would have to erase the seal, withdraw his spirit, cancel the deposit, break his promise, revoke the guarantee, keep his inheritance, forego the praise, and lessen the glory that would be his. That's quite a statement. And that's not the God that we know. That's not the God that we serve. A Christian is also guaranteed glorification. Glorification is what happens to the body. One day when we come to the presence of the Lord, we'll receive our glorified bodies. Romans 8 verse 30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Just as if we hadn't sinned. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a promise of the glorified body when we come into his presence one day. According to Romans 5.1, justification is ours at the moment of faith, when we are cleansed. Sin's gone. Romans 8 verse 30 says, glorification comes with justification. All those whom God justifies, they are also promised to be glorified. And you can only be glorified in the presence of God. Can you see how all this is just mounting up? There's just so much, um, so many passages that speak to this truth. Okay. This promise will be fulfilled when Christians receive their perfect resurrected bodies in heaven. So a Christian cannot lose their salvation. Let me say that again. A Christian cannot lose their salvation. You see, all of what the Bible says happens to us when we receive Christ would be invalidated if salvation could be lost. That means the Bible you could throw it away. It's, it's not true. It counts for nothing. It's void. Salvation is the gift of God, and God's gifts are irrevocable. That comes from the Bible. They're irrevocable. Romans eleven twenty nine. God's call and his gifts are irrevocable. From his word. A Christian cannot be unnewly created. The redeemed cannot be unpurchased. Eternal life cannot be temporary. God cannot renege on his word. And scripture says that God cannot lie. We find that in Titus chapter 1 verse 2. But in speaking about this, I often have two objections. Let's look at those objections. It would be unfair if we only gave one side of the argument. But let's look at the objections. There are two common objections that come up to this belief that a Christian cannot lose his salvation. What about the Christians who live in a sinful, unrepented lifestyle? Is the one thing I'm often asked. There's a Christian who's living in an unrepented lifestyle. The other one is, what about Christians who reject the faith and deny Christ now? There's the two main objections that keep coming. Well, the promise with these objections is the assumption that the person you're speaking about, okay, has actually been born again. Did they actually come to faith? Was there a true conversion? Were they truly born again? Did the new go, did the old go and the new come? All those things the Bible speaks about. Was the, was the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in their lives? John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. Well-known passage, but this is what we're talking about. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Not that we're perfect, okay? But we don't keep on sinning on purpose. 
We don't go look to sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So the people who just keeps on going his old sinful way, he might have come forward at, a, at an evangelistic conference, put up his hand, prayed, said, yeah, I'm now a believer. But he keeps on living his old sinful ways. If you keep on doing that, you truly did not come to faith. So those two objections fall away. You see, somebody may be religious. They do all these religious things, come to church, read the Bible, pray, uh, do good works, give to the poor, get involved in ministry. They may do all those things. They are religious. They're not born-again believers. People put on a good show, don't they? They wear this mask. But he was never truly born again by the power of God. By their fruit you will recognize them. Matthew 7 verse 16. Okay? The redeemed of God belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Nothing can separate a child of God from the Father's love. Nothing can separate a child of God, a truly born-again believer. Nothing can remove a Christian from God's hands. And it's very clear in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, says the Father, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands, and I and my Father are one. See, God guarantees eternal life and maintains the salvation that he has given to all Christians. Now there's quite a few passages I could have gone to just with regarding to that. But time, time doesn't permit. But in Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39, uh, we read these words. For, excuse me, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me remind you of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. Genuine believers receive the Holy Spirit upon belief and he is their deposit that guarantees eternal life that guarantees our inheritance, that cannot fade and cannot spoil. So that settles it. Christian, brother and sister here this morning, if you're a true believer, you cannot lose your salvation. In February last year, uh, preparing to go to uh, the island uh, in Indonesia, and I received a phone call. And these were the words, short and sweet. Pastor Norman, I'm afraid. And I recognized the voice. It was a lady called Pit. Well, Petra is her name, but just sort of nickname over all the years. Um, her husband and I had been friends for over 40 years. Uh, we'd been in Angola together. He was, uh, I was his officer, he was my sergeant. And we went and we did what we did in Angola. We came back and we remained friends. And uh, if I say, unfortunately, uh, I went through three married, four marriages and three divorces with him. He was one of those guys. Married, divorced, married, divorced. And the children came along that. And 
at the end, uh, for the last 18 years, he had been married to this, this lady, Petra. And she was one of those ladies, you call people, she says, she, she's besotted by him. I mean, she truly was. Okay, he truly was the love of her life. It's one of those romantic situations where, I mean, you look at them and even after all the years, it was so obvious. Greg was a musician. Uh, he, he played in a lot of musicals. If I'd mentioned to you, you would know the names. And a good-looking man. Six foot three, good-looking, well-built, uh, typical ladies sort of man. And I mean, the ladies fell for him anyway. But I had buried Greg a year before. Uh, Greg, had, Greg had, had, uh, he had some heart problems. Anyway, he died. Uh, and we buried him. And about three months later, I got a call from, from, from Pitt. And she said to me, won't you please come visit me? I've got some bad news. Anyway... Uh, they discovered that she had breast cancer. Okay, long story short, uh, she did uh, all the radiation and the chemotherapy and she had a double mastectomy and Petra was one of those ladies. She was a, a Spanish dancer. Good looking lady, really nicely built and uh, when she had the op, she said, no reconstructive surgery, you leave me flat. I don't want to be attractive to any other man. Greg was my man. Anyway, they did everything, and within a couple of months, they declared her clean. She was clean. And so that was last year. And then in the year before, and then in February last year, I got this call from her. Pastor Norman, I, uh, I'm scared. So I said, Pete, where are you? Are you at home? I know where she stays. I know the, the home they have. And when Gregor died, her, her, uh, her living domestic, her domestic had moved into the house. She'd lived downstairs. Pete was upstairs. And they had a, a lovely gardener who'd also been with them many years. So I said, Pete, what's wrong? Where's, where's the gardener? Yeah. What's going on? So she said, no, I'm in hospital. She said, no, no, I'm scared. I said, tell me where you are, Mill Park. I went to go visit her the next day, spent hours with her. And this is what she said to me. She says, I want you to make me safe. I want you to make me safe. I want to know for a fact that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And we sat and we, we spoke and we prayed, cried together for a while. But when I left, she had this beautiful smile on her face. And two days later, she was gone to heaven. Are you safe? Do you know that you're safe? If you're a born-again believer, hopefully after what we've just gone through, you now know that you're safe. And if you now know that you know, you know where you're going. You know where your destination is. What about your family? What about your spouse, your children? What about those grandkids? What about your next door neighbor? Are they safe? Is their destination confirmed? Do they have a deposit that guarantees the inheritance? Folks, that's what, that's what God is calling us to do today. If you know that you know, and hopefully now the assurance is in your heart, any fear that you might have had that you're going to be called out when you get to heaven, hopefully that is all gone. You know we have the confirmation now. We have the knowledge that we are saved. We are children of God. We will, we will be with God in heaven. But what about your family? And so today as you, as you leave uh, the foyer, um, I have two little Bibles for everybody. I have a little Bible in English for all of you, so won't you all take one, one of the little Bibles in English? 
and also take one in Zulu. So, uh, trying to make evangelists out of all of you. Okay. So, please, won't you collect that when you, when, you go, when you leave this morning. Also, all these verses that I've been through, and as I say, the 18 of them, which is why I said, please, just leave the Bible aside. I'll quote for you. Pastor Ive has all these, all these passages. <clears throat> Take it, you can read through again. Just have this joy again that we have as Christians, knowing that we know where our eternal destination is. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning for your word. We want to thank you that your word gives us the assurance of our faith. There is no doubt where our final destination will be. We are your children. We are saved. We are born again believers. We have repented of our sin. We have turned from our wicked ways. And we now are obedient. or We try and be obedient to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ that we find in your word. So Father, thank you for your word that is so clear. Thank you that it is there in black and white, that we have a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But may we now take this knowledge to our homes, to our family, to our friends, to our schools, universities, wherever we are, wherever we go during the day. May we take this knowledge that we have and may we pass it on and helping other people to secure their guarantee of a place in heaven one day. So we thank you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.